The train headed for Sunset City will be departing soon. Welcome back to Sunset City, a Sonic podcast for the modern and classic age. Today you have me, Nick, as well as the tall lady vampire who will chase you around an old castle while you say, Chase me! Known as Cirrus. I have a feeling I should have three daughters now. Well, you do have that, and you also have a scroungy dogman brother known as Channel Pup. Indeed. So, uh, today we're going to be discussing, uh, well, we're going to be doing a retrospective on Sonic 1, but before we do that, uh, there are a couple little bits of news, nothing we really have to spend a whole lot of time on, but uh, all the same, we should probably mention it for the sake of mentioning it. Um, first one, uh, we already knew about a Sonic Encyclopedia, and considering the art book and the history of Sonic the Hedgehog got deluxe editions, not too surprising to learn that we're getting a deluxe edition of uh the encyclopedia and it's like twice the price of the normal edition and i think all you're getting is a few extra pages and a new cover and of course i pre-ordered it awesome well <clears throat> i i decided not <laughs> to order it uh, because that's 80 dollars, and i want to get the idw hardcover as well and that uh I can't, I can't afford, I can't afford both of those things. Well, they're both being published by Dark Horse, aren't they? Oh, you mean? Oh, I'm sorry. You mean the IDW, the comic? I got you. Yeah, because we're getting the IDW hardcover. We already knew about that one. That one's not news. We know we're getting the. It's the first twelve volumes plus the annuals, all together in in one thing. And I want to get that, but that's forty something dollars. And then the base version of the encyclopedia is forty something dollars. But then it's eighty dollars. It's about eighty dollars for the the full version. I I commend you on getting the full version, but I want both of my books, so I will spend the same money you did and get both of my books. And I, I don't spend um, more and get all of them because I'm a weirdo. <laughs> Sorry, I don't really. No, it's fine. I was just gonna. I don't really have the money to spend on uh, these Sonic books, so. Uh... I'm just hoping you'll do like a speed reading or something of the uh, Encyclopedia, isn't it called or something? Well, it anyway. might be. Yeah, no, we'll definitely. I I'm thinking I'm probably gonna do like a live reading of finding any interesting facts. And you know, um, some of our Sonic Tube friends who focus on news and tidbits. I mean, just Ian Flynn mentioning that the Chaos Emeralds have some sort of an origin. I mean, we had like three to five videos that day. I can't even imagine what's going to happen once that book actually drops. People are just going to be scouring for little factoids here and there. Read the um, bedtime story, Uncle Nick. But yeah, I'll probably just I'll probably read through it and just give my like an actual review. Um, then we'll probably just talk about any factoids on this show because I don't really do Sonic news on my channel. But Pup, you might find something interesting worth uh, talking about. In the in, in the book? In the encyclopedia, probably. Maybe. Um, unless they're talking about the origins of rings, I'm not really sure, but like... Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you imagine know what I realized? They, imagine if they do. Imagine if the book resist, comes out and it debunks it. all of... Don't, don't say it. Don't say resist it. Saying, resist saying the B word. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. 
That's a beautiful joke. Well done. I'm sorry. Do you we'll know, like, I, I was mentioning Ian Flynn. Like, you know his show is called The Bumblecast, right? Mm. What? Damn okay, it. We're not, no, we, we are not going into this today. Uh, Have you guys hate, been conspiring for this the whole time? I Have you guys to, been talking behind the scenes? I hate to say this. I hate to say this, Nick, but... Well... I think that confirms it. Pop, I hate you. Hooray! <laughs> I know what this actually is. This has just been a long-form Honey Nut Cheerios commercial. I know what this is. <laughs> it's been the... I, it's, it's, 11 right. episodes of talking about a blue hedgehog, all for this. I need to tell you, I am Ian Flynn. Always have been. You're not Ian Flynn. You're Bean You Flynn. know, you do have the proportions of that fucking cereal bee, so... I am I'm watching being, you, Felt Man. Being flying. <laughs> He's being flying? <laughs> Swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know they've said okay. that the Sonic fandom has a hive mind, but come on. Okay, enough. Enough with no, the, we don't. We do not have a hive mind. We are a mess. We are a collective garbage fire is what we are. But um, we do have a little bit more news. It might not be Sonic related completely, but uh, that Summer Games thing or whatever it's called that Jeff Keighley hosts or attempted to, I guess he started it last year with the pandemic hitting and E3 being what it was. Um, it sounds like Sega is going to be appearing in that. So I'm a... I'm curious because we know E3 is happening. We know Summer Games is happening. And it's going to be Sonic's birthday month next next month. Like, is it... Do you think it, it behooves Sega to be announcing Sonic-related material during these other um, these other events that are happening in June? Or do they just have to keep, keep their cards close to their chest and just try to uh, do what they've done before, which is try to sell to the hardcore audience in, in exclusive events. I think it probably behooves them to sprinkle sprinkle bits of information about possible products, like basically wet wet people's tongues at events like yeah. that before then going into a main event and going, okay, and now here's the big reveal based on everything you've been doing. I think, especially with the Sonic fandom being as... as Chomping at the bit uh, is probably the best way I could describe it right now for a new Sonic game or even just information about a new Sonic game. Uh, it, it would definitely behoove them to just kind of lay some breadcrumbs for people to follow and build up that hype so that when they actually do uh, their larger event, then they can go, this is what we've, building up, these, we've been building up for, which is a, a double-edged sword. On the one hand... Sega sprinkling breadcrumbs like that. If they do, this is, you know, speculative. If they do, and their reveal ends up being something major, and everybody starts getting freaked out about it, then, you know, that's great. Great publicity. But imagine if they do that sprinkling, and then they, they release effectively, hey guys, we're just doing Forces 2 and Mania 2. I think, um... I think it behooves them that they would uh, do like um, just a tiny tease at the event, but I think we will be getting the main course, uh, some kind of Sonic event in on a June twenty twenty fifth, wasn't it? That's when Sonic's anniversary is twenty um, third. Twenty third bollocks. Um, but uh, yeah, no. So I think maybe we'll get like the announcement that there's something big coming on June twenty third. 
but I don't I don't think uh, we're going to get anything major until that. Yeah, other sure. other events is probably just like like I said, it's probably best that they just do breadcrumb stuff. Well, I mean, I mean, you guys are still looking at this as as Sonic fans. Like, if you're looking at this as like a like the general gaming audience, they're not going to give a shit about breadcrumbs at E3. Like, uh, why are you teasing a, another Sonic game? Of course, another Sonic game's coming. Like, they're not that great. We don't give a shit. Just show your game in a trailer or get the fuck out. What like, what are you doing? Like, we're not going to be show. We're not going to be tuning into your, you know, your Sonic exclusive event. So, I think it's one or the other. Honestly, I think they've had the uh convenience of having sonic's uh celebrations prior to e3 in the past mm. so they can make the big announcements there and then do like a follow-up trailer for e3 um i don't think they have that this time around i think the most they'll they'll have like that leak suggests would be like showing off sonic colors and that would be about it if they're going to be doing like a lot of sonic product at once i think it, it would still probably be best for them to wait till they have a big announcement otherwise yeah if they're doing a port like something that's you know that's pretty positively remembered by mainstream gaming media or uh general gaming audiences i think the colors remaster would be safe to drop around that time that's when you start showing off the little tidbits here and there and you know and then on like sonic social media you say okay here's when the sonic event is happening if it is at all because it's getting kind of late in the month in may like we need to they need to start rolling out like when things are going to be announced if nothing else i mean there's that and the pandemic might have changed things a little bit i mean when they had their announcement event um on the 23rd of june uh, in 2016 i think it was uh, when they announced Sonic Forces, uh, you know, they had a whole event at, like, I think it was the House of Blues, if I'm not mistaken, with mm -hmm. Crush 40 and everyone there. With with the pandemic, they're not they're not going to be doing that. So it might be that they're just like, okay, scrap the 23rd, we'll just do it at E3. So there, there's a possibility they could. But I, mean, I would say at latest, maybe June 23rd. So here's my, my take on that one, though. I, I agree that they're not going to do something as big and stupendous with, like, a live studio. Uh concert because of course pandemic safety it'd be a really bad pr move at the moment to do that and just there wouldn't be as many people showing up anyway however we've been in a pandemic for over a year now it, at any yeah. point during this year sega could easily have gone okay guys when we do when we do this event we will obviously not be able to do x y and z but can we do, still do something that makes it seem or feel larger? I don't. I don't think they would necessarily skip anything over because of the because of the pandemic. Because they've had a year of being able to adapt to what the the normal of mid pandemic is. I mean that's true. Like you've had lots of online sort of Comic Con events and stuff. They could have you know interviews, uh, live interviews with like you know people like Crush Forty and uh, Keshi Azuka and stuff like that. Like they could. They could do something like that. Like Sega are pretty in tune with the whole uh, internet live entertainment as well. Like they had the um, the Sonic Generations live stream with Roger Craig Smith quite recently. So, and the Twitter takeovers for another example. So, like, um, I don't think it's um, beyond the realm of possibility that we could get a Sonic 30th anniversary event this year on June 23rd. 
Although I do think it is quite a bit late to start promo on that if they are. Then again, does an online event need as much promo? That's that's the question. That's a good point. Yeah, I was wondering that too. Like, uh, I mean, we're again, this is like a two fronts sort of a thing. I'm I'm wondering about because we know the pandemic absolutely held uh held back on on game development itself. If we're talking just in terms of events, um, yeah, I what I would do if I had the means to do it. I would do some sort of online events. I you don't need to announce that much, but the the fan base does need to know what is happening at this point. Like it's uh I get you want to hold off on stuff if you have like a lot of surprises. So if they do have a lot of surprises to to show off, then yes, you you need to make a big stink about it after all this time. Otherwise, I mean you, you do you do prove everyone I mean you validate everybody's frustrations with uh with not being more upfront with what's going on if there have been like severe development issues. Um, but I would, I would drop a trailer for colors. I would tease the next big Sonic thing. I would probably drop a trailer for prime if Netflix was cool with that. And if they had a trailer ready for the movie again, you need to work with, uh, it's paramount, right? That's making the movie. Yeah, I believe it's paramount. Yes. They could have like a short tease or something, like just of footage that they've got prepared. It might not be anything with Sonic in it because I believe they're still shooting, so animation might not have necessarily began for Sonic. But like, I mean, they you, could they they could have animated a teaser at this point easily. I guess. I mean, I, I would imagine something a bit more Doctor Robotnik centric. I would imagine. Sure. Yeah, because um, that, that would be live action. Well. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't take as much work as as creating. Uh, it'd, it'd be much more expensive if you had to give Jim Carrey like a specifically well, no, they like could, they could use like existing footage, just mash it together to make a quick little stinger of Dr. Robotnik in this movie. Because like, you know, he was quite a big draw about the previous one, Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. And like with this one, we know he's going to get like a new design and everything. So like, you know, showing off that progression, that's going to be one of the major changes from movie one to movie two is now we've got this more classic looking Robotnik. So yeah. um, I would imagine whatever we see of that movie, if it's going to be anytime soon, it's not going to be quite as Sonic centric yet. It's probably going to be a bit more leaning more on Dr. Robotnik. But then again, I might be completely wrong because they had all sorts of little animated bits made just for promo in the previous movie, uh, such as, you know, when we saw adult or teen Sonic running through Green Hill, that was clearly just made for the trailer. So yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe they're also animating simultaneously to filming. I mean, it's two different departments, so I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, like if they're if they're uh, just stretching their legs, like there there's obviously animation ready to go right now. And like if it's specifically a teaser, um, then yeah, you can't drop that at E3 or Summer of Games. Like you'd have to do a Sonic event. If you just drop like the official render of Knuckles, fans are gonna be happy. Yeah. Um, but I would I would use this time to to answer some burning questions that fans are are wanting to know. Uh, that being as far as American or Western size concerned, who's the new voice of Sonic? What's Knuckles look like in the new movie? And what's the next big game? If you drop those three, you're going to have a very happy fan base. Imagine if the announcement is, by the way, Ben Schwartz is going to be our video game Sonic now as well. Yeah, that would, that would, everyone would freak out. People would freak out. 
Yeah. I don't, oh, yeah, and, it would, that would that would break the internet. And I don't like, and I don't even know if I would necessarily hate that decision because I didn't mind him in the movie. I'd be fine with it. I see Game Sonic and Movie Sonic as two different things, but I think Ben Schwartz is also pretty versatile. So I reckon he could I reckon he could nail the the uh, Game Sonic as well. I mean, as I've said before, he's the closest thing we've had to a Ryan Drummond Sonic since Ryan Drummond Sonic because like his voice is just quite similar to that fit. If you get me. Yeah, but I mean, if you're going to be going down the route of uh, of Schwartz, like you, you need to be spending the money on the writers too. You need sharp, witty writers. So yeah, you don't want Schwartz. I, I giving, would assume you don't want Schwartz getting the same scripts that uh, that Roger has been getting. No, you you want people that have been working on the stuff that Schwartz has been on already. You want the Ducktales team on that, or the comic team. You you want people that can write comedy and are familiar with his voice. Um, so, I mean, all of that is just as important as the voice itself. So I, I would be a little bit more upfront with that. If they have a game plan going, get it out there. Or if they, if they need to release a smaller 2d game in the meantime, while they, you know, continue to work on whatever the next big Sonic thing is fine, but get it out there. And I, I think people need more than a colors port, but that's just me. We're getting off onto a long tangent. That's not even having to do with our main topic for the day. I mean, it's still it's still interesting, though, because we we did know that Sega said that they were going to try to to pull the movie and game franchises just a little bit closer together. And it would would make sense after an announcement like that to go, okay, and the way we're going to do this is by having Ben Schwartz as our Sonic and having our writing team write for a write for a Ben Schwartz Sonic and not a Roger Sonic. Yeah. I just hope that they do, like you said, I hope they would put somebody on that job. Because, like, even with Roger, when he was given when he was given scripts for the Boom cartoon, he he was able to flourish in that environment versus what scripts he was given for the games. I would hope it wouldn't turn into Ben Schwartz gets one type of script when he's doing, say, Sonic Prime, and when he's doing the uh, the movie, and it's wonderful. And then he's given this mediocre, half-baked nonsense when he's doing the game. When this is primarily a video game character, you'd think that's where the polish would be. I yeah. Mean, that said, like, the games have never, ever been the pride of writing when it comes to Sonic. Like, there's always no. been some other medium that gets the writing better. So I don't know how realistic it is to expect the games to suddenly go from, like, janky-ass writing to suddenly being like good by any standard writing like that's the thing like i i think a lot of people are saying god i hope the writing gets good but it's like i i don't think the writing for sonic games has ever been good on like a typical standard just enjoyable for different reasons if you understand where i'm coming from there and i'm saying that as someone that loves a lot of sonic stories like sonic adventure 2 uh, Sonic Unleashed, you know, they have big ideas, but the writing is still it's it's always got that that Sonic stench to it as far as writing goes. <laughs> it's it's not that you're, it's not that you're wrong and you're certainly right, but I think so I think the statement you know, people uh people shouldn't expect Sonic uh Sonic stories to suddenly get good, like the writing to suddenly get good. Thing is is that those stories don't have to organically evolve. Because stories like that only organically get better 
if you're using the same team and that same writing team is just getting better at writing a type of Sonic, if you uplift that and move it to a different writing team, their different writing style will automatically be, well, something different. It may be a lot better. It could be a lot worse. But you only have this problem of this thing is not going to suddenly get better if you stick with the same team and you're trying to fix problems internally within the same team. If they are moving to a different writing team, then you're rolling the die on that completely. It could be infinitely better, or it could be, well, we've seen how low it can go. I mean, I, well, I mean, like, I think like the difference between like the previous Sonic writers and then moving over to Pontac and Graph, it's a completely different selection of problems, really. Like, I, I don't think, like, I prefer the more shonen style stories to the more Saturday morning cartoon ones, but mm-hmm. like, I don't think they like integrally for any reason i just think it's a completely different set of problems but regardless of like who the writers who the writers are that there's typically always going to be that sonic stench on video game sonic stories and it's fine i i love i love that stench he I'm loves kind of the a, sonic stench i'm kind of a kinky sonic pervert in that regard but like... he wants sonic to take off his <laughs> shoes guys <laughs> <laughs> so I'd only I'd only push back because uh, Pontac and Graphs uh, I would say uh, most fans would agree like the the worst of the scripts is going to be Sonic Forces, and I feel more of that has to do with the shift in tone that Sonic Team wanted to take without really you know with while using the the people they hired to to write these more lighthearted Sonic stories in that realm as corny as it is I I do think those scripts work fine for what they are it's definitely more it's more kid friendly and it is more westernized than the adventure era of games um and i agree with you pup i think it is like a whole set of new problems because i think a lot of the problems when it comes to the adventure scripts as silly and convoluted as they are um when you put it through the filter of like japanese anime it's it's still silly but it, it like it's a more fitting silly and when you localize it, it somehow gets cornier and and more nonsensical. Yeah, if that makes like, sense. I think, I think that's the the other thing is like the the adventure game storylines. They're they're silly. They don't make a lot of sense. They've got tons of like really gaping holes in the story that don't even make sense within the game's own logic. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like they're talking down to their audience. If you get me, it feels like. Yeah. It feels like honest work, whereas I guess like the Pontac and Graph era, it feels often like it's really, really talking down to this character and talking it, down to its audience. The Pontac um, and Graph scripts feel very hello, fellow kids. Yeah. Well, so uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, they're. It's that's, that is adults though. trying to write for kids, though, you know? I still kind of see it as the Pontac and Graph era in a lot of areas is more appropriate. So, like, I, I don't care for the story of Sonic Colors or Sonic Generations, but I'd say on a whole, it's appropriate. It fits these characters. I'm, it fits I'm the fine with them. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I never ever find myself rewatching the cutscenes for Sonic Generations because there's just nothing there. But it's yeah. perfectly appropriate for the game they're trying to do. Um, well, what the holy shit? Oh, sir, my tortoise is awake. He rammed in my chair. <laughs> he wants attention. He wants snuggles, Nick. No, he wants to be let out. So, um, I'm gonna do that. Nah, he's fine. He's exploring. Let's do the rest of the show. He'll survive. Shall anyway. we move along to the retrospective? 
Let's indeed. We have uh, yet again spent over half an hour talking about the future of Sonic the Hedgehog. This fascinating franchise that this is. Okay, so you gentlemen um, proposed the idea when we were low on news. Like, you know, there's a lot of history here. So why don't we start doing our retrospectives on it? Even though we all have, I think, I don't know about you, Sirius. Um, we've talked about Sonic 1 on some level in our, our YouTube channels at some point. I've not talked about it on mine, though I did, in preparation for doing this episode, I did a full playthrough of Sonic 1 again and recorded everything just in case I wanted to actually talk about Sonic 1 on my gaming channel. So, as of current, it's not true that I've talked about it on my gaming channel, but within a week or two, I might actually be a liar. Fair enough. Well, um... Be warned, guys, because this is my very first Sonic game. I grew up experiencing what the gaming world was like back when this came out, and I get quite defensive when I hear all these whiny new new bloods saying that this is a crappy game. So I will be on the defensive more than likely. So well, let's see how this goes. <laughs> so I, I'm I I grew up with this too, just in a, in a different way. So it's not going to be. It's not going to be me just going, all right, Nick, do you, you remember your childhood? I'm about to take a dump on it. Like, I no, mean, it's not going to be that. All, all the same, I'm the youngest of the group, but Sonic 1 was the first video game I ever played. So, like... Really? I've, yeah, I've also got that thing deep-rooted into my DNA. Yeah, I was more talking about our, our audience, because, like, dump on my childhood all you want. I'll be more like, no, you idiot child. Let me sit you down, and Grandpa's going to smack you with his cane. And tell you how it was do, coming soon <laughs> <laughs> so we've had st we've had stinky sonic we now have caning how many fetishes is this podcast going to cover uh caning children for that matter yikes that's a thing <laughs> wait yes i'm, I'm asking cat tits what am i talking about caning is a um, thing nick it's a thing okay well <laughs> carrying on um yeah so sonic the hedgehog Number one, as it was called, you can read it right on the title there, was released in 1991. I believe that was worldwide, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that's what I'm seeing here, June 23rd, 1991, at least through Wikipedia. I'm not seeing any arguments otherwise on this all-knowing site. And it released on the Sega Genesis, the Mega Drive, over in the Putz, <laughs> Pups parts. <laughs> He got he got to play Sonic One Slow Edition. Ah, uh, yeah, actually, the PAL version. Yes, that's uh, right. This was before they properly optimized PAL Sonic games, so they they didn't have this problem with Sonic Two and Three. But Sonic One, ever so slightly slower. Uh, the main place you notice it is in the music. But yep. I've grown up with the music being slower, and I I guess I have a soft spot for it. But I think it definitely benefits, like for example, Doctor Robotnik's boss theme. Because it just when it's slower, it's more, more menacing. Yeah, it sounds more sort of calculating, you know? So for those who I... for those who were in the audience who might not know, like, why this issue happened, so if, if memory serves, correct me if I'm wrong, Pup, but CRTs back in, back then all ran at 50 hertz. And because these, because these games were all programmed for 60 hertz CRTs, there was a, a giant mismatch when they started getting played over on your TVs. They were trying to do... 60 frames within a 50 frame amount and it was just it just wasn't translating right and that led to slowdown 
Yeah, but I, I would still say this. I mean, I haven't played it on my Mega Drive for quite some time. I've still got the Mega Drive. I just don't have a compatible TV right now. Um, I I don't remember the gameplay feeling slower, just the music, really. Um, but I think it's probably more realistic that the gameplay was slower. It's just I remember it differently. Um, however, um, yeah, no, it was because of the difference in Hertz and everything like that. Uh, again, like Sonic 2 and onwards didn't have that issue because they were optimized for the 50 Hertz as well when they made the PAL versions. So there's a fun little tidbit. I grew up on a different Sonic 1 from the rest of these guys. Yep. I literally, I literally so, never grew up on a Sonic 1 cart specifically. I, ca I kept interrupting you, Nick. I'm sorry. You go on. No, it's all good. Um, I mean, yeah, let me let me just kind of give you guys my... Uh, I don't really remember when I first saw it. I just I do remember specific points in my life when I did see it that really kind of stood out to me and like, wow, that's that's incredible. Because, um, yeah, the, the cart, like, it all comes together like this beautiful... Um, just very tempting package. Um, I remember we were we were um, moving to a, a house in Peoria, Illinois, and we were, we were doing some house walks walkthroughs. And somebody had a uh, in their their bedroom a Sega Genesis with the Sonic cart on there. And like the I mean the TV wasn't on or anything. Like it's a it's a walkthrough. But I this distinctly stood out to me because I was like, holy shit, that's an actual Sega Genesis. Um. And, like, it's such a sleek and sexy package. And that box art, like, as much as people want to rip apart uh, Greg Martin's uh, Sonic design, like, that box art was just so shiny and inviting. And Sonic is just right there on the front. And he looks like he's just on the top of a little black mountain. Like, he just looks like he's, he's in the driver's seat of a really sexy uh, black car when you put it in the top of that that machine. It just, so why ah. had... Um... A very different box art because obviously the PAL version is different. Um, yeah. So for the UK and I believe Europe, uh, we had uh, the Japanese Sonic design just stood in front of this very pink, peachy sort of pattern, which has the different Sonic flickies on it and Dr. Robotnik looking incredibly jolly, sort of faded into the background of the package. And that's printed on the cartridge as well. Um, I have to say, I prefer Greg Martin's cover for definite because you actually see green hill in there and it's nice to see how that stage is supposed to look outside of its pixel art form um and i'm also just a bit strange on the whole peach color scheme that they went for in the european version but yeah um, it's yeah it's very uh like i don't know like like rough drafty i want to say yeah i've always yeah, felt that like way even even down to like dr robotnik like when you see him on that package you wouldn't immediately necessarily think villain because he appears to be doing like a little <laughs> dance on there. He appears to be doing like a little jig. He looks all jolly and stuff. Like when I first saw that, uh you know he's got those buttons where his bottoms are? I thought that was eyes and it he... was like this weird sort of like lum creature like the lums from Rayman or something. <laughs> so, um, so this is the first time I've ever seen the sixteen bit uh cartridge for the PAL version. I'm I'm looking it up now for the very first time. He really does look like he's fucking dancing. He is yeah. just, he is just, this man is just happy to be here, and Sonic's here wrecking his factories. It's so strange yeah, I... when you consider, like, when you see him in this game as well, he's got the most sinister version of that boss theme you've ever heard. As well as that, oh, yeah. the PAL version, even more sinister. Um, and he comes in with a massive wrecking ball. Like, imagine being a kid, 
and yeah, I don't know, like it's Christmas Day, your parents have gotten you Sonic the Hedgehog 1. You pick up this game box, and you see, ah, there's that jolly Santa Claus looking motherfucker on the box there. I can't wait to see him in the game. And then he just fucking rocks just up comes with a wrecking ball trying to murder you. And it's like, oh, okay, I thought he was going to be a lot nicer than he turned out to be. And then he's telling you to try again after you've completed the game just because you didn't 100% it. You didn't yeah, grab um, the six asterisk chaos emeralds? Shame. So, I mean, when it comes to the two box arts, yes, I, I'm not with going to argue with anybody who says that the original Japanese design of classic Sonic is the superior one. Of course it is. It's it's a fantastic look. But in terms of like representing the game itself, I think Greg Martin captured it phenomenally. Um, there's been, I mean, there's a long history of game art not really representing what's actually going on in the package itself. That was the case for a good chunk. I mean, from, from the Atari up to this point, but even here, like you look at this and you see the, the inviting spiraling look of green Hill behind Sonic. That's what you get in the game. It, it does look that colorful. It does look that inviting. It does have that tropical theme to all of it. And despite whether or not you like that Mohawk or not, that Sonic looks like the Sonic Sprite. Yep. I mean, he doesn't have the he doesn't have the smirk on the sprite, but he looks angrier. The the shading on him makes him look like looks like he has a round fucking head and a, just a one long spike from the side. Like that looks like the video game, and I I love it for it. I have a huge soft spot for Greg Martin's Sonic. Not gonna lie, part of me, I kind of think is just because that kind of vanilla factor. Now you know, I kind of see Japanese classic Sonic as like the vanilla one, whereas Greg Martin's more like a radical kind of flavored sonic i think that kind of leads me to kind of have more of a soft spot more sort of strong feelings towards the greg martin version i mean it also might tie in with the fact that i love a lot of what the usa did with sonic in the 90s for example adventures of sonic the hedgehog when i when yeah. i see classic sonic in that i think that's my classic sonic when i see dr robotnik in that i think that's my favorite dr robotnik and very radical difference between that and the japanese version but like i've got a lot of love for the westernized American Sonic, even though I would probably say that maybe the Japanese one's a bit more timeless, I guess. Like you look at you look at Greg Martin's Sonic and think, that's a Sonic, that's a nineties guy. Yeah, he right he looks like he's coming right out of the era that he was built for. Yeah, whereas like the Japanese one, it's like, well, that could come from pretty much any time, be it the nineteen fifties or or today. So it's like, I guess I wouldn't argue that on kind of an objective basis, I guess the Japanese one is more something that will stand the test of time, but like, uh, got a lot of love for Greg Martin. Got a lot of love for the '90s style. Well, that this makes sense for though, because I mean, like the the original design concept for Sonic was literally, hey, let's make a Mickey Mouse type mascot, but let's give him the attitude of, yeah, at the time it was, uh, you know, Bill, Clint Simpson. Bill, Bill Clinton and Bart Simpson together. Yeah, and that's Such a weird combination. But but again, it worked. At the time, though, like Bill Clinton was like in the 90s, that was like your 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 hit president. And he was everything that made fun of him. It was almost like he was cool with it as well. Like Animaniacs did that in spades. That was just every few, that was just the time. Every couple decades. Yeah. I mean, he, he was the Barack Obama of the 90s. I mean, so really. Wait, what was, um, I know that people aren't going to want this to get political. So just a short answer is all I need. What party affiliation was Bill Clinton? Was he Democrat? Democrat? He's Democrat. Democrat. Okay, I was about to say, I cannot imagine Republican Sonic. 
All right, Eggman, I'm ready to take you down and take over your factory. Wait, that's not what you're supposed to do. That's right. This is Republican Sonic. I'm appropriating uh, your factory. And that's why gonna... I said just a short answer. Yeah, we're, we're going to shove right along here. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have some crybabies in the comment section now. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so the cover art itself, like we've uh, we've uh, dabbled around it as, as much as possible. What about the game itself? What? are your guys' earliest memories of this game? So my earliest memory on this was... Uh, my, my first Sonic game was Sonic 2, not Sonic 1. So mm -hmm. I, have a, I have a bit of a warp here, but I went over to my friend Matt's house growing up, and he had a Sega Genesis, which he was one of the two friends that I knew that had one, um, and he had that cart that had Sonic 1, Sonic 2, and Mean Bean Machine on it. So I'm over at his house. We're we're playing in his pool, and you know I get out of the pool and I come in, dry off, see if I can play on a Sega. And I put in that cart, and I could select the Sonic game that I've played at another friend's house, Sonic Two. But then I'm like, okay, well I'll try Sonic One. I've never played it before. My earliest memories of this are loving Green Hill Zone, accidentally going through the special, the, getting into the special stage. You know when you 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 finish Green Hill, you can get the special stage just by jumping at the end of the of the goalpost. And then just being assaulted with every single bit of visual stimuli that I think the Genesis could have thrown at me all at once. Because there is there's a lot going on in those special stages. Yeah. And that's the thing that sticks yeah. out to me more than anything. I I didn't get past Marble Garden Zone back then i was i was far too bad at video games as a kid uh i didn't get past marble garden zone until i owned my own copy through the mega collection on the gamecube but it was it was playing that game for the first time on his genesis after having already played sonic 2 several times before and just kind of feeling oh i don't have the ability to use my spin dash like feeling like i was playing a Sonic game that was lacking some essential things that I thought made a Sonic game because I started on two. And I didn't hate it. It just, I felt underpowered. Yeah, dude, like there's nobody, like I, I started with Sonic 1 specifically, but even that, even people that started on Sonic 1, I guarantee nobody went back to that game without accidentally attempting to do a spin dash. It's it's that that dash became so iconic and there's there's yeah. several parts in that game where like so there'll be, you know, four badniks lined up. There'll be like the drill badniks that'll be underground that'll pop up as soon as you get near them. And my first thought when I get to any of those areas is, well, I have no room behind me to gain momentum. I know they're going to pop up when I go forward. Sure would be good if I could spin dash through them right now. But that's, yeah, but that's and I'd not imagine a thing like there's I mean, there's. I mean, there's enough workarounds there. Like, I, I know they're probably thinking, like... I mean, obviously, it's just a challenge, but, like, I, I'm also thinking of bad nicks of, like, a caterpillar and stuff like that where you need to be super precise if you're going to try and jump on it. Or, yeah, you, you need to plan how you're going to build up that momentum and, and you know, drive into the thing. Um, And I, I, I respect the thinking behind that, if that was the intention. Like, look, once you jump, like, you're a death machine really like as soon as you you roll up into a ball there's there's not a lot that can hurt you if it doesn't have spikes or can shoot you 
and and that you're makes gonna murder sense. the fuck out of most of everything. There's but yeah, there's a lot of stuff playing through it again. There's a lot of stuff in there that like I hold issue with as game design choices, but I recognize that this is very much the mentality of the era. So. For instance, Sonic 1 has a lot of waiting in it. In Starlight Zone, there's a lot of waiting on rotating platforms. In Marble Garden Zone, there's a lot of waiting for, for the spike platforms to drop. Like, there's a lot in, of just... In Marble Zone, just, just before nerds start picking, out, picking oh, on you. Fine. It's they can they can <laughs> yell. I'm okay with them yelling. It's fine. <laughs> We're talking Everyone about the hedgehogs. Up. Everybody. Um... And then I'll I'll finish this one up so the pup can talk a little bit more about his his first experience on game stuff, but with the amount of waiting that's in that game and as much as as much issue as I hold with it, and as much issue as I hold with jump being the only thing that really takes care of so many of your problems unless you've already got built up momentum. When I think about the platformers around that time, waiting as a mechanic was actually not that uncommon. When I look back at a lot of the Bowser castles in Mario Three. There's a lot of times where you're like on a skull bridge over lava and you're just having to wait on the bridge as it mechanically moves or there's auto scroll sections where you're having to wait for the camera to pan. So like I don't like those things, but they were so prevalent back then that I can't even really blame Sonic 1 for doing them. Yeah, I uh and I I think that's like my main uh critique against people that that really complain about that game is it is hard to go back and not look at it specifically as weird as it sounds as a sonic game but you have to play it like any other platformer basically it's sonic one was kind of dipping its toes into uh brand new territory but also using the trappings of what had come before just to ensure that they were making like a, a solid enough game like you could probably take mario through a lot of the levels in sonic but those ramps um and the way you attack enemies that that does make a difference so like there's enough there that does differentiate that original game but it has so much of of what made platforming's platformers platformers that you still you still have to tr kind kind of go into it as its own unique game from the rest of the series going forward and then pop so yeah uh, let's let's hear a little bit about your first experiences here. Okay, so you gotta you gotta take into account this was not only my first experience with Sonic One, my first experience with Sonic, it was my first experience with a game full stop. Now if I'm to talk exactly about the first experience, my memory's a little spotty because I would have been about three years old. What probably happened is some adult probably plonked a Mega Drive controller in my hands. I'd shit my diaper and go to sleep. I don't know. But <laughs> my memory is that that was the first game I ever played. Now, of course, I did get a bit more into it as time went by. I can't pinpoint exactly when. But the way I saw it, Green Hill Zone was Sonic 1, and the rest was optional. This was... Um... <laughs> This was like kind of my first time experiencing everything that video games had to offer. I was fascinated by cheat codes at a very early age. And um, I remember the process being, I played through Green Hill Zone Act 1, 2, and 3, thought this is substantial, this is fun, Dr. Robotnik's hella scary, and uh, I got that done. Once I got to Marble Zone, I didn't even need to get underground before I decided I'd had enough. Um... Just, it, it's a more miserable looking level compared to Green Hill Zone. Like, Green Hill's got yeah. 
very peppy music and it's it's all blue skies and stuff marble zone's a bit cloudier even down to its music and i guess a lot of this can be attributed to the pal version of the game where you it's a think, cemetery dude yeah yeah Mar marble zone comparatively is a fucking cemetery um so like i was more fascinated by okay how could i fuck with the game how, how could i play around with cheat codes and stuff and i was like I wonder what the last level is like, and like, um, <laughs> oh, so God. I did the up, down, left, right cheat code after like asking my sister what the cheat codes were, and um, then I had to ask what does final mean, um, and obviously it means last. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, final zone. I was like, oh, okay, that's surprisingly doable. Like, considering I haven't played any of the other levels, like defeating the piston boss was actually pretty easy. Um. And then I just kind of explored the rest of the game in a very non-linear order before, like, reaching my uh, near 10 years old, deciding, you know what, let's let's play it properly. Let's play it in sequence. I don't think I ever actually completed it properly, though, until after I'd gotten back into the Sonic series with Sonic Unleashed in 2000 and, uh, 2009, I want to say, um, where I had a newfound fascination for Sonic games beyond just puttering around in that first level or so. So, um, yeah, but in, um, in retrospect, I, I do think people tend to kind of give Sonic 1 quite a hard time on the basis that it's, it's kind of, it plays like a standardized platformer for most of the game, with the exception of that first level where you really see what Sonic can do. But I have to say, I don't think it's entirely fair to hold that against Sonic 1, because in actuality... Sonic 1 is still a really good game. It's perfectly functional. You can still play it today and think, yeah, this isn't janky. It doesn't feel too dated. Obviously, it's a retro game, but it feels like that's on its side. The The thing is just that it improved in Sonic 2 so much to the point where the level design really utilized Sonic. But that's not something I hold against Sonic 1, and I don't think it is fair to reduce Sonic 1 simply because its sequels did it better that's how yeah, it's, it's a, that's a to be. good problem that's... for a franchise to have yeah you know? if if your first if your first outing is the worst of your trilogy that's how it should be like and it's so... actually it's actually kind of funny when you compare that to like when you compare that to say how mario was operating at the time Mario 2 was something that we wouldn't get to experience in the states until several years after it came out because I'll be quite frank. Japanese Mario 2 sucks. I for anybody who's a fan of Mario Lost Levels, I'm sorry, that game is just made to punish you. I I do not like it. It's just yeah. interesting to me because But I mean sorry, go ahead, Pop, sorry. I, sure? I mean just like all this I'll just say real quick, like when it comes to Mario 2, when it even when it comes to Sonic, like I think people need to understand like it's easy to look back on all this, but like everything was experimental. And um yeah, I mean, I, that's why I, I don't give too much shit from Mario 2, because it, Miyamoto wasn't running a second game. He's got he's got more uh, more of his hands in, in Doki Doki Panic, which is why I'm fine with the American Mario 2 being what it is. Yeah. It's just a lot of experimenting. People didn't have even the idea of like, OK, let's take this format and improve upon it. Like that wasn't like the immediate obvious thing to do. Yeah, because if you for... look at like Zelda one and two at the time, they did a complete format shift for that. Yeah. So seeing That's just games, just being games, just trying to figure out yeah. what the hell they're doing. So seeing Sonic Sonic 2 essentially doing what the video game uh, market would be doing going forward, which is 
taking a or when it's when it's doing it well, taking the formula of Sonic One and then just, for lack of the pun, running with it, and then just doing doing everything that it did well, but better, and then taking a lot of the shortcomings from the first game and then just doing away with them. Yeah. That was kind of a rarity back then, but that's, it's um, it's fairly normal now. That's something where I was kind of gonna kind of. Uh launch pad off of uh, one of Nick's earlier points at the start of this. There's, you know, I think a lot of those people that are kind of doing baby's first video game review and saying, you know, Sonic 1 is bad or Sonic 1 is bad in retrospect, I think channel that energy that channel the energy you're putting into slamming Sonic 1 into praising Sonic 2 because like that's everything a sequel should be. Like Oh yeah. And Sonic 1 is not guilty of that. Like I get. I I think it is a valid criticism to level up the game to say if your main character's main thing is uh, speed built up through momentum, it makes sense to have level design that encourages that a lot more. Yeah, that's a valid criticism. But like when you're basically just saying the whole game is shit because like Sonic Two renders it superfluous. No, you've at worst you've got a bit of video game history here. At best, you've got something that still holds up today. I would yeah. say. There's there, yeah. there are some design things in Sonic 1 that I think weren't necessarily great when they came out, but most of that, have, having played through it again, I think most of my issues kind of fall down to Labyrinth Zone, and not necessarily that Labyrinth Zone is, is bad on its, on its face, just in design. Hey, you can have an underwater level game in Sonic and it, and it works perfectly okay. But playing through that again, I think the fact that we had to experience Labyrinth Zone essentially four separate times in that game, that was a little much. Because if, you, if you've never played Sonic 1, you have Labyrinth Zone, Act 1, 2, and 3, and then at the end of all of that, you do Scrap Brain Zone, Act 1 and 2, and then Eggman knocks you down, and you have to basically do a Scrap Brain Zone, Act 4, as your uh, you have to, or Labyrinth Zone Act Four, basically, as your final Scrap Brain Zone level, it's like, wait, why do I have to do this again? So I think um, while Labyrinth Zone is easily the most difficult game uh, level in the game, I would still say it's not my least favorite level. My I, least I just think it's level, unenjoyable. I don't know because like I find it varies for me. If I'm not streaming it and no one is watching, I can breeze through Labyrinth Zone. But the second someone's watching me, it suddenly becomes as hard as everyone says it is. It's really strange. Um, it's I noticed that too we... when I was when I was streaming it. That's yeah, really weird. It's it's like I feel like you need to be in the right mood to get it right. In which case, very cleverly designed level that definitely lives up to its name. Um, it's just it's infamous for how challenging it is, and it feels like the kind of thing that I guess should come later in the game or something. I don't know, because the thing... It's the second zone, to last level, though. I mean, it's later in the game. It's not. Or it's no, not. no, it's you're right. Starlight, Starlight, Starlight's after it. Yeah, you're right. Starlight's yeah. sandwiched between. I feel like... And the thing is, I, I think, yeah, it does go on a bit long as well. I feel like if it's just like you have the first and second acts, like, you've still got a really good, challenging level. That's kind of its whole thing. Its whole shtick is how challenging it is. And like, yeah, it might not deliver everything you want from Sonic's first outing, but it's still a really well-designed, trap-filled level.
that is really punishing, but in a good way. I kind of I kind of view Labyrinth Zone in a similar way to how I view Eggman Land. I guess the difference is with Eggman Land, you've still got the sonic thrills of going fast, whereas Labyrinth Zone, it's a slog. That's um, and that's kind of my problem with Labyrinth. Is it like I'm I'm okay with the traps. I'm okay with the spike balls everywhere. I'm okay with the spears popping out of the walls. Like all of that stuff making me feel like I've got to be really careful as I move. That's fine. What I what I don't like is the sheer amount of water in that level. Because you can... When, when you're going through that level, you don't have a choice but to be in the water. It's like there's almost only one or two pathways. They're all underwater. They're all, all almost identical. And it just feels really, really sluggish. And I... As much as I had issues with Starlight Zone with all of the, the bottomless pits in it, I at least enjoyed myself running around in it more than I did in Labyrinth. So what I would say is I enjoy Labyrinth and appreciate Labyrinth from the perspective that it is a gauntlet of a level. Like, you feel really good once you've beaten it, and as I say, there's some great design stuff in there, and there's a lot working against Sonic, and it is just fun to see how much can go against Sonic and how much you can overcome. That's what I kind of like about Labyrinth. What the the one that I would say the level in Sonic One where if someone said you can pull that one out and I'd say that's got to go, is Marble Zone. It's just a miserable level in my opinion. Like it doesn't even have that gauntlet factor going for it. It's, it's just, just a lot, it's of, just waiting a lot of waiting on blocks. The music I like it, but on the PAL version it sounds even more like a fucking funeral home, <laughs> and like it's. It's just not fun, and it's the second level in. We've just had our fun little party in Green Hill, and now we, now we, you know, it, it would work if it had like a discovery aspect to it. If if they had more things like uh, giant Indiana Jones balls rolling at you and stuff like that. If there was more like it's the secret underground temple, like that would work well. It's the kind of concept they could probably pull off in a game like Sonic Three a lot better. But here, it's just a dull, horrid little slog of a level that immediately just stamps on your fun. I feel like if you took Sonic 1 and changed it so that it goes Green Hill Zone, no Marble Zone whatsoever, just straight into Spring Yard Zone, then Starlight Zone, then Labyrinth, and then Scrap Brain, it would be a much better game overall if you reordered it that way. I think Labyrinth into Scrap Brain just makes sen more sense anyway, because like I said before, the last level of Scrap Brain, right. the last act of Scrap Brain... <laughs> Okay. Alright. I've let you boys go on for a minute. I'm gonna jump in now. Um so I uh, I do have a couple things to say about the different levels. We are kind of jumping all over the place with those. Uh Pup, I would disagree only in the sense that I, I do like the idea. And I, I think like if you look at this game, you can kind of see where like they had like new ideas in terms of video video game. It just didn't know when to quit. Um and I get that with Labyrinth quite a bit, where they're like, wow. We have a really cool idea for water. Listen to this this drowning theme. Like, how scary is that? Like, how cool would that be as a as a gimmick for this game? But then they just didn't know when to, you know, stop dunking your head into that toilet of a level. Um, I I do respect it, but it does. I do think it overstays its welcome, and and yeah, it it does kind of uh drag down the speed element. Um, and I think you're gonna see a lot of that in in Sonic One, where it's like. Here's a good idea. It it needs refinement, and that's what we got Sonic 2 and 3 for. Um, 
but I, I don't think I would reorder the game if I'm honest with you. I I do think like if you put Labyrinth in there and then Scrap Brain and then they put that final little dunk in the water there at the end, I think that might be a little bit too much. Like I get escalation in terms of challenge when it comes to video games. Um, and I do think that is important. I do think the game needs to continue to throw new ideas at you and challenge your skills. But I don't know if Labyrinth does that. I, I guess think you Labyrinth... need a breather, don't you? Like between yeah. Labyrinth and Scrap Brain, you need that starlight zone to say, hey, the game is still fun. Otherwise, you're just going to be waterboarded for the entire second half of the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, God. Um, and just to jump on Marble, um, I do think we had it done better. But it's still like the, one of the most hated levels in the game it's in. And I think that would be um, Act 2 of Sandopolis. Because, like I said, I, I, I assume, where I, I always took the, the marble to mean, I mean, it is marble. Um, it could be like Greek stuff in the background, maybe that's what it's referring to. But I always kind of took it to mean like a mausoleum. Because you're going underground, there's this really dour music. And I always wanted more like of a haunted theme to it. I, I don't hate yeah. all the set pieces in it, but yeah, like I can tell you as a kid too, like... um. I remember uh, Green Hill and I remember Marble more than the rest of the game. And that's probably because I stopped some time in, in Marble. Most of the times I played that game. I, I like the aesthetic. But I also understand, yeah, the frustration um, you and others have with it. Because it is, a, it is a tedious level, especially after Green Hill. I just find it to be so miserable in pretty much every conceivable way. Um but, like, I think a game that definitely proved that Marble Zone as a concept can work, uh, and I know that we're kind of dipping into the future here, but Sonic Dimensions in the Leg Dimensions bundle has Marble Zone in it, and it kind of fills it, it kind of makes more use of those traps, but it gives you a bit more room to play around in. And it goes to show, like, you, you could have, like, a trap-laden underground temple, um or a mausoleum, whatever that means, and uh, you could just have Sonic run around in there. Like, the most fun part of Marble Zone for me is that brief moment where the lava comes at you, and you just gotta quickly run through this very narrow uh, pathway. Um, but the thing is, like, it's so tight. Like, it's, you know, I, I don't know, it's, it's just too tight. <laughs> it's just so I, Real quick, do you not know what a mausoleum is? I probably do. I'm just like very distracted by the pain I have in my wisdom tooth right now. But let's check it out. Um, so you know in cemeteries how they have the big concrete houses, marble oh, houses. Oh yeah, no, I I know what you mean. Yeah, that's yeah. a mausoleum. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's the the impression I got from. from I mean, that yeah. You, there's clearly a lot of um, mausoleum esque uh, design uh, elements in there, like through the pillars and. There looks to be that temple with what people say is the Mario faces on it as well. Um, it's yeah, it could be Greek statues or like, yeah, Greek uh, ruin, something like that. But uh, yeah, I, I always assumed there was like a little bit of a haunted to me kind of a feel to it. We'll say yeah, there's... Uh, even even down to the music in Labyrinth Zone, it's more yeah, jolly yeah, yeah. than uh, the Marble Zone. And it really sounds like I'm shitting on the music. I've heard some fantastic remixes of that, like T. Lopes's cover of Marble Zone makes it sound active and exciting and it's like yeah now i would be game for marble zone to make a return <laughs> but like in its form especially in 50 hertz where it's even slower 
Nah, that's the ultimate party pooper stage, man. I had so much fun in slow green hill zone. You just ruined it with even slower marble zone. Let's say that there is a a thing that I like about Marble Zone aesthetically that I I hadn't really considered until playing through the game again today, and that's that when you go through Green Hill, that level is is almost all natural landscapes. It feels very organic when you move through, and when you go through Marble Zone, it feels very organic until you get to the underground, and then you've got like these glass pillars moving around, which when you get there. This feels like this is the first sign of Eggman like industrializing the area. Like this is this is the first point where where he's like encroaching on nature, which is kind of the theme as you go forward through that game anyway. But I like that that's like that's the first time you see that as you go from these green landscapes, not not as vibrant as the ones in Green Hill, but as soon as you go underground, you start seeing oh something's here that wasn't supposed to be here before. Because, like, the spikes, those look like they are they were meant to be there. Those look normal. But the, the glass pistons, I have a feeling those weren't in the original design. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd really say that's um, industrialization, though. I mean, those look like ruins. With the, gla I guess it's with that the glass kind of, pillars, um... though? No, I mean, you're just focusing on, on one little little thing in that, in that whole... Thing. I mean, what like what about like the goalposts or the like the monitors throughout the game? The, I think the... it's so much um, <laughs> that it's like Robotnik's uh, industrialization. I think it's more just as the game goes on, you start to see more and more man-made structures, I guess. But then again, like it's in a weird order again because like yeah. Labyrinth Zone. I mean, I I believe Labyrinth Zone, if I'm not mistaken, was supposed to be the second level originally, but they just knew no one would get past that. Um. But, like, Labyrinth Zone is not as uh, man-made looking as, say, Spring Yard. Um, yeah. So, it's interesting. It's interesting. Well, I, th I think the games, at least, I mean, I think they have the bookend correct, if nothing else. You start off in a natural environment. I don't really know if I would agree um, in terms of the progression for pretty much any of the games. Um Especially Angel Island, where it's, uh, I mean, it's all Knuckles' home, really. Um, but it's always always starts off more like what represents Sonic, which is the lush and the green and the freedom, and always ends with the constricting, um, deadly, uh, robotic, industrial uh, Eggman section at the end of the game. So the book ending has at least always been consistent. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely more book ending, especially when you factor in like Sonic 2, for example, is the second oh, yeah. chemical plant. But then after that, you got things like Mystic Cave and stuff like that. I think yeah. with Sonic 1, it is, I guess, a fair thing to say it does get in some ways progressively more man made because it's like Green Hill Zone is, you know, it's the natural landscape. Marble Zone is natural, but there's a lot of stony stuff in there that has to be some form of man made structure. Then you got Spring Yard, which is very man-made, because like a city and stuff. And then Labyrinth is kind of the odd one out, but that was intended to be the second level. Starlight is obviously some form of city man-made. And then Scrap Brain Zone is a complete industrial wasteland. So I guess you could say, like, with Labyrinth being the odd one out, it does get progressively more man-made. But I don't necessarily think that's an indication of Dr. Robotnik or Ruin or anything negative until it becomes that at the end of the game. I mean, that's fair. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, 
I mean, we we're talking about all the levels that people continuously talk about when it comes to this. We strangely have not talked a lot about Green Hill, but I feel like everyone's talked about Green Hill. To, I feel like to Green the point Hill is death. like our our reference point. Like, I feel like if we were to go from here, if we were to go from Marble Zone, uh, we we'd just be talking about in reference to Green Hill. Like Green Hill is basically the quintessential Sonic stage because it just allows the player the chance to use every one of Sonic's skills, and it's a really fun... It's kind of everything a Sonic level should be. So when we go on to talk about things like Marble Zone, we can say, look, here's where it didn't fulfill Green Hill Zone's promise, I guess. Um, Green Hill Zone promised me things. I feel like that's what it is, though. Green Hill Zone is a promise of what this character will be doing, and then it all grinds to a halt with Marble Zone. So I suppose... If we were to move on to Springyard, I think that, like, I don't like using the term underappreciated, because I feel like it implies that people are wrong for, for not feeling so strongly about it, but I really like Springyard Zone. It's got a lot of hills to it, and a lot of, you know, ways Sonic can get about. Um, the moving blocks is obviously not something I'm fond of, but other than that, I think Springyard is a, is a really cool level. I'll be right back. I'm going to let my tortoise out. He is straight up ramming stuff, so I'm going to let him out into the yard real quick. That's fair. Sure thing. Hey, serious, want to fight? Yeah, yeah, let's fucking go. All right. Uh, So, Sonic Unleashed sucks. Let's go. It's not worth fighting because I know you don't mean that. Yeah, I know. I don't. I love Unleashed. I can't. I can't do that. (laughs) Um, I will say this, though. As, As much as I hate the moving blocks in Spring Yard, the thing that I hate, I, the thing that I dislike about Spring Yard the most isn't that because again, with the moving blocks, the waiting and the excruciating time that you're having to sit there and wait for them to slowly scale you up an area, that was just kind of game design in 1991. That's just kind of what they did. So I'm. It's one of those things that suffered more retrospectively. Yeah, like it's it's it was perfectly acceptable when it came out. It wasn't. It it was more agitating later. The thing that. I noticed most about Spring Yard playing through it again, though. It wasn't the waiting, because, again, I can put myself back into the, you know, playing it as a kid and going, nah, this is what I would have expected from a game back then. What bugged me about Spring Yard is the amount of repeated set pieces. It feels like there's maybe four major set pieces in Spring Yard that are just repeated ad nauseum in different orders for Act 1, 2, and 3. There's the, the moving blocks... Then there's this, uh, these little corridors where there's a, a spike moving with rings above it, and there's always some variation on that. Then there's a downhill slope with two spike balls uh, that will move at different intervals to one another. Uh, and then there's one more, but I can't remember what it is. But like the amount of times that those set pieces just repeated over and over again through Spring Yard. Oh, the other one that, that repeats itself long uh long flat uh hallway and then at the end there's a single little area that sonic can slip through to go down but there's a bumper at the end so that you have to approach it slowly and that happens maybe four or five times uh from act two onward and just the amount of repeating of those things feels it makes that level feel much longer than it is between act one two and three because I feel like I'm not seeing anything new as I go through that level. I feel like I'm just seeing those same four things on repeat. And that's my my biggest gripe with that level, is that. 
I guess that's all fair and I, valid. I think like my I I think it kind of falls in line with kind of my feelings towards the game having three acts per stage as well. Like it's a lot a lot of these stages do not justify having a three act. And again, that's one of those things that Sonic 2 really fixed was how we had two acts instead of three. Um and I I guess my biggest criticism towards Springyard is just that it doesn't have enough there to justify being a three act long stage. However, like things like wait, where you say like there's the bit where there's the long stretch of hill and the two spike balls that are alternating. Like I like that bit because it does test your reaction time with Sonic, um, and I feel like that's a more organic kind of trap for Sonic to be up against than well, I say agree. what we had in Marvel and Labyrinth. I agree, I agree with that assessment. My issue isn't that it exists. Like all the things that I mentioned are not things that I hold issue with in a vacuum. My problem came down to, as I was playing through the level literally like three hours ago, it felt like I was encountering those exact four things on repeat. I feel like if it had been two acts, I might not have, have had that issue at all, because, you know, and like you said... That's the main thing. I feel like a lot of these would have just benefited from just being two acts. Um, also, just a side note, we got the very first, very early iteration of Metal Sonic in this level. That always confused me as a kid. I uh, I distinctly, I can tell you for sure, and this is something I think we should address about Sonic 1, is um, the turnaround between Sonic 1 and 2 is like a literal year between these two games. Yep. So it really only had that one year to stand on its own, and I don't think a good majority of people now, we really can't divorce those two sets of memories. But I can distinctly tell you, I remember... Um, I did play Green Hill before I um, played through Sonic 2. But whenever I finally got my own Genesis, it was probably a pack-in with Sonic 1 and 2. And I was not skilled enough as a child to get past a Marble Zone. But I was skilled enough to get through at least a good half of Sonic 2. So by the time I got to Spring Yard... I was that was the I can distinctly remember the first time in my little life feeling like and I don't know if I had the exact words for it back then as a child but I was it was I was definitely like oh this is definitely like a proto casino night like this feels like an unfinished casino night oh yes definitely like, like that was like one one of the yeah. first times I was like like the theme like the aesthetic of the level doesn't quite match up with like the music I'm hearing like, I can see some little bits of, like, neon light, but, like, this this purpley maroon tinge to everything. Like, I said it in that very first video, it doesn't feel like Las Vegas. It feels like, like, like Lake Tahoe to me, as far as a casino is concerned. Like, it's, um, it's just, it's just some weird casino that you find out in the mountains or something like that, that has nothing to do with the strip. So, um, yeah, what you're like, saying I feel is... Like, um... Go on. I was, I was just going to say that, so what you're saying is, this is the casino night we have at home. <sighs> I feel like um, the contrast between um, Spring Yard and Casino Night is like the clearest indication of like the difference in confidence between these two games. Like Sonic 1 is just slightly more subtle, it's a bit more muted, uh, the music's more calm. Moving into Sonic 2, it's suddenly got this brash sense it's of a, cockiness to it. It's a fucking and celebratory level in Sonic 2, it feels like. Yeah, yeah, like, it's it's joyous. It feels like you're at, like, this big Vegas event and stuff. Like, 
I think that's kind of like Sonic's cockiness definitely shines through in Sonic 1, but the game, Sonic as an entity, as an IP, didn't become so cocky and confident until that second go. There is one yeah. thing in Spring Yard. I just want to mention this one thing, Nick. It didn't occur to me until today that the uh, the the lettering in Spring Yard spells out cope. Oh yeah, <laughs> I I didn't even notice it until today. I'm just like I've always found that so funny. I'm just like, oh my god, That's great. They, I feel so weird now. <laughs> yeah, I um ah, uh, I mean, looking back on it, and, and again, like this is this is a problem of playing through Sonic Two before you go back to one. Like, you'll notice a lot of stuff like that. And I didn't really even think about, yeah, you're right. Like, there's just, like, a few traps or, like, set pieces that just kind of repeat themselves, but they don't ever, like, escalate and challenge. They just kind of keep happening. And, like, I think about, like, that little, that pit that just has a bunch of uh, bumpers and then some springs, like, right above it. Like, I even remember as a kid, I was like, what the hell is the point of this? This feels so sloppy compared to everything else so far. Um, and again, it's it's fine, but I, I definitely feel Springyard Springyard felt very unfinished, especially when you had the sequel right there. Yeah, there's not a lot of time between the two, and then you've got you know people who didn't own a Sega like me experiencing Sonic Two for the first time. So when you go back and actually play that level, it's just. Green Hill feels fine. Green Hill doesn't feel like a proto-Emerald Hill. It just feels like another good first level. Spring Yard, it, it really has that prototype feel everywhere. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the reasons why people don't talk about it a whole lot anymore, is because like it, it really does feel like, well, why would we talk about this when we have Casino Night? Like That was the aesthetic going forward. That was the basis for any casino-based Sonic level. And if we had stuck with Spring Yard, that that aesthetic might not have stuck around. But we do have to appreciate the bumper um, springs and, and everything else that it brought to the table. I think another thing worth noting was, like, I think it's something that made Spring Yard Zone quite enticing for me as a child. And uh, th this is going to be quite some trivia here. But the level reminded me of chocolate. Let me explain why. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, okay. In in the UK, perhaps the most well-known chocolate is Cadbury's Dairy Milk, which comes in these purple wrappers. And you've got the purple of the sky, not to mention there's very sort of 3D blocky textures to most of the architecture that is like a glossy, chocolatey, brown-looking colour. And that very much kind of looks like the little blocks that you would get in like a Cadbury Dairy Milk bar. But then there are certain indoor parts where it's got this almost bubble-like texture, which reminded me of aero bars. And it's just like... I don't know, the whole thing just reminds me of chocolate. And as a kid, obviously, like, one of the best things in the world is fucking chocolate. So it's just like, I kind of thought of that as the chocolate factory zone in a way. And I kind of feel like, you know, you could kind of just mod that zone to be a chocolate factory and it would probably have more of its own merit if you did that. Sonic, you I know, found a golden that's... ticket. That, I don't hate any of that. Yeah. That's actually, like, I can see the association... And I would absolutely love a Chocolate Factory Sonic level. I know we've had candy stuff. I mean, Sonic colors, but yeah, honestly, it's just the colors then it like it matches the branding. Like, um, especially like the main architecture blocks, they've got a very similar shade of kind of a brownish, bronzy color to yeah. the wrappers that we have on Galaxy bars, which over in America are called Dove bars, I believe. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, so, the yeah, like, like I the kind of like imprint look. Think, 
Yeah, yeah. So I just I kind of looked at that and just thought chocolate, and I think that's just something that made me really love that stage as a kid. Um, you know, so yeah, that's just a bit hmm. of subliminal trivia right there. A chocolate level in Sonic wouldn't be bad if you actually merged, if you actually like try to functionally add chocolate in as a mechanic. So like, for instance. There could be areas where you have to go down a, a chocolate slide, not unlike the, the water slides in Labyrinth Zone. But when you're going down that slide, you're also getting covered in chocolate that you have to then spin dash off of you, else you're handicapped by it. Like, they, it could be done. I feel like I'd take that in time... Sonic Mania, too. Like, if they ever brought Spring Yard back, like, I would love if they wanted to expand upon it in, in that kind of fun way. Kind of like they did with some of the older levels. I... I wouldn't hate that. Like you brought in some like nice little elements that kind of was a nod to Sonic Colors or something like that. I, that'd be a perfect fusion. I feel like um, also this would just be an opportunity for a bit of sprite animation. Every time you go to a un to like a breakable wall, rather than having to spin dash, you can just walk through it. But you see Sonic just chomping away at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Well, I I gotta admit, pup, I got a new appreciation for Springyard. Crazy. Now, I thought that was the weirdest point in the world, but like, I'm I'm glad it's kind of uh, become like a talking topic. It's actually, it's actually <laughs> not bad, and even like some of the repeated architecture in that level, how often we see it again. And now I know it's just because I keep going to the same candy aisle. You guys have bars <laughs> over in America as well. Wait, no, but we have enough. Like, we have enough like uh, spots. It depends on where you are in the country and, and where you're shopping. Yeah, there's there's enough import stuff. I know what that is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, so you know, because that's what I mean by the bubbly texture on the indoor parts of the level. Reminiscent of kind of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've had it before. It's it's a very weird experience. Like, it doesn't actually taste any different. It's just they put air bubbles in there, so the texture's different. It's been years since I've had that kind of chocolate. I've, I had a Cadbury bar like a year ago, but I haven't had an... Uh, I don't know if it was an Aero bar specifically or if it was a knockoff one that just had had the air bubbles in it, but it was, I do, I do remember it being one of those things where like, I expected it to be more different than it was, mm -hmm. but it was still different enough for me to know that I was, I was eating something other than a standard ca uh, candy bar. I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, Cadbury's in America is quite different to Cadbury's in England, because I think the American one still adds that butyric acid to it, that, uh, European and English chocolate doesn't have it's the acid that makes it taste like vomit. Um, well, it, I mean, I mean the Cadbury eggs potentially. Um, like most supermarkets over here now have like a whole section for like European chocolates, like almost literally oh, all of them it. now. You need it because American chocolate tastes like <laughs> shit. Yeah, we actually <laughs> it's hideous to us. Like we can't stand it. I forget what there's. No, a... I mean, I I think that's just Hershey's though. Like you know what a Hershey's thing tastes like, and and yeah, it, it's not for everybody. But like same with McDonald's, like you don't go there for a quality burger, but you're going there for the McDonald's flavor. Well, like you, thing, you know what I that tastes of, like. The thing I could kind of say about McDonald's is, well, you don't go there for like a quality burger. It it doesn't actively it doesn't actively taste like vomit. That's like the thing. And I, I know people are gonna argue and say it is subjective, but the reason we associate with vomit is because that butric acid is found in vomit. We don't really put that in food over here. So like is the only reference point we have for that taste. Um, I mean, that's sure. fair. But we di I, I, I digress. Um, shall we talk about 
Shall we skip Labyrinth? Because I feel like we've talked about that. Already. We've we talked about it enough. Yeah, we're getting a little, a little bit too wreck it, Ralph. Here, we're starting off with the video games, ending up in Candyland. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that just leaves we have we have uh, we have Scrap Brain and we have Starlight to go over. But I want to hear your thoughts on Starlight. That's I even in my first video, I was very dismissive of that level, but I come to learn that's a that's a favorite for a lot of people. So I'm curious to hear what you guys think of it. So my experience with Starlight, it, bear in mind, first of all, my experience with Starlight today was my first experience with Starlight Zone. I had not until today actually like properly beaten outside of using a level select Sonic 1. It was me going, okay, I want to prep for us to have this discussion that I actually played through. And I actually beat the game in an hour. I, weird how that works. Um... So my impression of Starlight was I loved a lot of the mechanics that it introduced. I loved the fans basically like blocking your way in certain areas. I loved having to interact with the environment to actually get it to kind of cooperate with you. So there's like areas where there's a platform above you and you can't quite reach it, but you've got to kind of like knock yourself into it to get it to to fall down so that you can actually climb up it as a staircase. Like I like stuff like that. Interacting with the environment. Great. Here's what I hated about it. Everything else. I cannot, I cannot stand uh, bottomless pits if, if they can be avoided. I want my mistakes to not be because I felt like I was going too fast in the Sonic game. And now I've you know missed my platform and now I'm dead repeatedly. I also feel like bottomless pits in a continue lives based game where the continues can only be gotten from special zones. Really not a huge fan. Like I loved all of the ideas in spring yard zone, but the actual execution in that zone was just me falling off platforms a whole hell of a lot and just really not enjoying my time in it as a result. Like when, when there was nothing under me except for, for metal then I felt fine. Because now I'm able to kind of interact with what this this level's trying to make me do, and I can have fun with it. And then every time that I go to one of those like, here's the here's the next plat here's the next area that has the rotating windmill platforms. I'm like, oh cool! Now I can just miss my jump and die again. Excellent. That's very well, um, strange hearing that from a Sonic Adventure Two fan. <laughs> I feel kind of similar, to be honest. Like, um, I feel. Obviously, uh, Starlight Zone is very popular, and I think a lot of that comes down to, for example, Labyrinth, Marble Zone, all, all that's come before has had us being like, Father Sega, can I please have some slopes, please? And, <laughs> May and I have some Starlight speed? Zone, so Starlight Zone delivers on that, but as you say, there is a huge over-reliance on bottomless pits, especially when you get to things like the little seesaws. Like, there are so many points where those little seesaws that you have to spring off of are your only platform, and Sonic instinctively wants to go down them. And it's yeah. like an uphill battle just to not die. It would have been so much better if they just put a spike pit down there or something. It doesn't need to be a bottomless pit, but then again, spike pits in Sonic 1 were about as good as a bottomless pit anyway, so I right. guess... Yeah. Um, just except something for the, else down there. Except for the one random spike pit I found in Labyrinth Zone that I posted about on Twitter... Where I found myself sandwiched between spikes and not actually taking any damage. There you go. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> well, I guess I can just jump out now. Okay. 
So, yeah, Starlight Zone does at least deliver some of what Sonic's USP is a little better than a lot of the other levels. However, I definitely wouldn't put it up there with Green Hill Zone or even Chocolate Yard Zone, I, to be honest. Um, I'll be honest, so, I think yeah. I think I would say that as, as many problems as I have with that level, I would say that when it's doing what it's doing well, I enjoy it about as much as Green Hill. But ever, but when it's when it's got bottomless pits everywhere, I enjoy it about as much as Marvel. So I just want to say the theming on this one is again, it's one of those very basically themed one. It's basically just yeah. the theming is it's nighttime. It's nighttime and there's scaffolding. Yeah, it, it feels like a construction a, yard. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's again, it's a clear piece of evidence that you know Sonic went on to much bigger and more confident things as soon as Sonic 2 came around. And this is like the one spot I feel like, I feel like the soundtrack really nails the feeling of these places, especially when you, when you know that um, the music was based off of screenshots. But I feel like this is the one spot in the game where that kind of backfires. I feel like, oh, we must got a, a screenshot of the night starry sky. And we based it off of that and not the rest of the level aesthetic, because I don't think that music fits at all when you get to the lower paths and stuff like that. It's beautiful, but I, I don't think it it truly it, fits. It doesn't it doesn't make me feel like I'm in a construction yard, but the level makes me feel like I'm in a construction yard. The yeah, thing yeah. is, when I see that, I don't I don't like see beautiful night sky. If 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 I were to play through that level without the sound on at all. I wouldn't even imagine there being music. I would just, it, it's that vacant. I would just imagine the sound of wind blowing through like a, a few a few buildings and maybe you'd hear someone coughing in the distance and maybe some <laughs> drug deal going on behind some well, back alley somewhere. That's the sound I would imagine. When it comes to construction-based stuff, um, I, just, I have always thought that level was like just so weird in terms of aesthetic... Um, the general challenges, I'm, I'm kind of whatever about, because, I mean, at that point in the game, you've been through so much in terms of what they're expecting you to do, like the like the more careful platforming, I'm, I'm okay with. It's not perfect by any means, but it, it's whatever at that point in the game for me. But, like, when I think of construction, you think it'd be like during the day, like, this is like a blue-collar job. You expect things to have moving parts, you expect it to be busy. You expect something like Wacky Workshop out of a uh, Sonic CD, where that feels lively and it feels like there's stuff going on here, and it feels like everyone's gone home for the night and Sonic's just it, scampering through. It feels like it's like midnight or something, like yeah. And that'd be fine. I mean, I guess he's a rodent; he'd be scavenging for scraps. So he's not technically <laughs> a rodent, I know, but he's scavenging you know, they for are nocturnal creatures. Brain scavenging for honey rings. So, I don't know if we really have Chocolate. anything else to say about about Starlight, but what do you guys think about Scrap Brain? Because I uh, I remember very vehemently saying, not saying it, but fuck that level when I was a kid. It 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 feels like a final level. I think I I actually like Act One and Two. I actually really do like Act One and Two of Scrap Brain. It feels adequately punishing. The only things that I don't like about it, I, I hate those red platforms, the ones that like snap open and shut. Yeah, I hate those things. I kind of, I kind of thought it got excessive. Like there's fire shooting at you, and also there's electricity and 
also pits. Like I, I thought it was a little excessive personally. So the electricity I actually like because where it is, it's almost always at the very bottom of areas and they're always mm -hmm. spaced out in a way that you can kind of sandwich yourself in between them without getting hurt. It feels like welcome to the bottom. It's claustrophobic. Get up, get out. And for a final level, that's fine. Yeah, I was about to say, I find, honestly, Scrap Brain to be significantly more forgiving than Labyrinth, Starlight, and Marble Zone, like, on a whole. Like, that's not to say it's not as challenging, but it's definitely more forgiving. Like, when you drop down to those pits, you've still got some time before the electricity comes, and, like, I don't know, I just, I feel like everything's very well telegraphed in that one. The main thing I don't like is where you've got those conveyor belts with the spinny platforms, and for some reason- Oh, and the chainsaws coming the down? Path, yeah, and if you're on the lower path, it can be really difficult to get on those spinny blocks. Yeah, you've um, got to time it. It's weird. Yeah, like, there, there are some bits that are just finicky in there. But on a whole, I actually think Scrap Brain Zone is a very well-designed, if- maybe a little flat level. Um, I think it could do with a bit more verticality to it. Um, then there is a... Then there's the end of Act 2, which I think is a really clever... A, a, really, a really clever little misdirect, where, like, you're approaching Dr. Robotnik and you get the first cutscene in a Sonic game, and it's the first time you hear that final boss variation of Robotnik's theme as well. And then he just drops you back down to Labyrinth Zone. They knew what they were doing there. Oh, yeah. And I think it's so clever. What I will say is, as much as I do struggle with Labyrinth Zone, I do think that fourth and final act has the mercy of being quite a bit shorter, and when you go on those springs and it launches you up to the final zone, it feels good. Like, it feels really yeah. good. Oh yeah, yeah. I, can, I can agree with that. It feels... It feels triumphant, like you're, you're, you're out of there. And maybe it's just because I, I finished Resident Evil 8 recently, and no spoilers for anybody, but... That game has a fetish with knocking you down to the to the basement level of areas. So maybe it's just that I've just got through playing that game that I'm like, yeah, no, I love getting up to the top after being in the basement. <laughs> I also just love, though, like, this level is where we started to get a really a sense of that Sonic confidence, but also that Sonic sadism as well. It's just because, like, this game knew how to make you hate Dr. Robotnik. And if anything's going to make you hate this guy, it's, it's him sending you back labyrinth zone just yeah. when you're about to confront him but then like i also just love how at the end of act three it's not just one or two springs that launch you up it's this whole bed of them and it's just like any one of these springs could be the one to send you to the end and they're bright red in this otherwise very gray and purple level like you know you've made it once you see those and it's on the home stretch now like so um yeah, I'm trying to think of uh like the last boss in general. Um I I do think that was the one thing it might have a, a little bit over Sonic 2 would be the appropriate amount of challenge when they force you to fight a boss without rings. I thought they got a bit ex excessive with uh with Mecha Sonic and then in uh the Death Egg robot uh, especially as a kid on a on a life-based continue based uh situation because i can't tell you how many times i got forced back to the very beginning of the game again and how disheartening that is and yeah, you're gonna have that a lot in sonic one a lot but especially when it's that much longer as well like yeah so i i think 
I mean, it's definitely not quite the spectacle as they would be going forward in the games. But in terms of what your the expectation of the player is and what they're handing you to, I don't know, what they're giving you to do, it's not the most interesting boss fight in the world, but I think it's appropriate enough. It's it's fairly safe, if somewhat lacking in, in terms of memorability. I mean, I think it's a very simple boss. Like, it's honestly, I'd say it's a much easier boss than the one in, say, Spring Yard or other ones like that. Like, if you ask me to fight uh, certain bosses without rings, like, this is the one to ask me to do it. Like, this one, you know... Well, because, I mean, half the ways he'll kill you is by crushing you anyway, and rings be damned if that happens. Yeah, yeah. like, that, that's the thing, though, is, like, for a boss you fight with no rings, it is perfectly reasonable on the difficulty standard, which is surprising because Sonic 1 is an incredibly sadistic game for the most part. And I kind of feel like <laughs> once you reach final zone, you even got that little music stinger at the beginning before it gets into that boss theme, which just tells you, hey, it's the final zone. It like it has less of a, oh, God, this is the end feeling to it as so much as it does. We're on the home stretch now, baby. Let's just beat this guy up at last. Like, that's and that's of... what I like about final zone. Like, it feels just like this is this is your chance to beat Robotnik up for everything he's put you through. Now let's move along. There is one thing that we haven't actually talked about through this whole thing, except for two instances. We haven't really gotten into the way Robotnik was utilized as a boss in this game, because I feel like the idea of the idea of Robotnik having a hovercraft and using the hovercraft to fight you is played incredibly safe in Sonic 1 compared to mm -hmm. the types of things that he does with the hovercraft later. Like Sonic 1, he has a, a chain ball. That he uses, he's got the the spike that he uses in Spring Yard Zone for dislodging the platforms under you. He has Marble Zone. He has like a little like drops the the napalm on the ground type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the only time that you fight him in a in a different kind of setting is is here with the pistons. The modification even down to the fact that like in Labyrinth Zone, he's not even fighting you with an attachment or appendage. It's just him and his little eggmobile. Yeah, like it's it's. His hovercraft is played super straight and super safe in one. And it, it was really weird to me because I'm I'm so used to now, after having over 20 years of, of Sonic the Hedgehog in my life, I'm so used to the hovercraft being like the thing powering some wacky device. Like now it's part of a car. Now it's part of a mecha. Now it's part of literally the hundreds of things that we've seen him do with them. And in this game, he's just like, nah, I'm going to I'm going to shove a spike under it, guys. That's what I'm doing. So Sonic one is the basic action figure. The series going forward is all the wacky accessories you attach to it. Yeah. And it's it's I mean, it it still works like there's nothing wrong with it. If, you, if you're looking at the game in isolation, then that design works. I just think it's so neat, I guess, that they took that yeah. base idea and they said, OK, look, so. You know how we we did things like put a little put a little napalm canister on him or put a little a spike at the bottom. Okay, what if we put him in literally anything? And what does that mean? No, we mean literally <laughs> anything. Like think of a think of a mechanical monstrosity of some kind. You can think of an Eggman mobile piloting it, and it will work. It I is, think. I mean, in, in that perspective. Now I'm wondering, though, like, Scrap Brain. I've always wondered what the hell the name of that meant, but, like, if you think about it, like, in those pistons, 
I wonder if that kind of represents like, you know, the brain of his operations. Like he's part of a machine itself. So when you destroy it, um, you're destroying the engine of his operations and, you know, you take it all down. Because obviously that's where the game ends anyway. So I'm wondering if that, you know, that one change over to a different machine is an indication like, okay, like this is uh, this is the big bad daddy that's causing all the actual environmental problems. So the original name for Scrap Brain when it was in prototype mode was called Clockwork Zone. So the I think the idea has always been like this is this these are the mechanical things making everything move. Because well, I mean, even... I'd have to throw that out anyway because it's not it's not running on fucking on on a watch battery or anything. No, it's it's not. But when you think of Clockwork, you think of of multiple gears working in tandem to make everything sure. else move. So. Sure. I think that if that if that mentality is carried forward, then it would make sense that you're like, no, this is the brains of the operation. This is the thing. This is the central nervous system of what Robotnik is trying to accomplish. Yeah. I've always wanted to know what the scrap brain looks like from the outside as well. But it's also just like, uh, as uh, as you mentioned, like the evolution of like how the Eggmobile is implemented. Yeah, when, when you like look at that little spike that he's got in Springyard, and then compare that to, say, Egg Dragoon, where, like, you can still see the Eggmobile is in there, but, like, holy crap, like... But now he's a Gurren Logan mech, yes. There's there's a big evolution there, which I, I really like Sonic 1 as that basic point. Like, there's a lot of appeal to seeing Robotnik in his very early stages. Um, and, yeah, I kind of like the minimalism of some of these boss designs. Um, but yeah, I think the final zone is more than fair as far as the challenge goes, and it's a it's a good way to round off the game. Um, yeah. and yeah. I wouldn't mind like I know Death Egg's like the most like one of the most iconic things, and this is something I've always had a a little bit of an issue with because um, every every one of these things like I learned about through Sonic first, so of course my my heart's attached to this stuff. But like you know, going out from there, learning like oh no, Death Egg actually means Death Star. Um, and, you know, Super Sonic's actually, you know, from, from Super Saiyan, you know, this and that and the other. I, I kind of wish they would reuse at least the term scrap brain, because I feel like design-wise you can make some really crazy shit out of that. None to so mention... I, I think, though, that we did actually get that in Sonic Forces. Like, Eggman Empire Fortress, especially classic Sonic stage there, takes a lot of inspiration from scrap brain and a part of me wonders if maybe they were going to call it that at some point but people were upset about them re reusing old stages like because I mean, most of the stages in that game are some form of adaptation of something else i um, i don't know about that though because like why would they why would they like hold back there when the well, entirety like, of classic I, sonic's in there I firmly believe that, like, Metropolis is Grand Metropolis to some extent, and I, I just, I feel like, you know, they were like, okay, we got Death Egg, we got Green Hill, we got Chemical Plant, let's just, let's just rename all these other zones, maybe give them a slight reskin, because it is Eggman Empire Fortress, especially Mortar Canyon, or is, is, which one, Iron Fortress, rather, is the closest thing we've had to the Scrap Brain, in that it's an earthbound base, it's got those rotating bits, it's full of traps, it's fucking unfair in places. And, yeah, like, even down to little electric floors and everything. Like, literally, like, if you look at the level gimmicks in um, Iron Fortress, it is just Scrap Brain Zone. Not to make this a Forces podcast again, but, like, you just kind of 
jumped on something that I just realized, like, here's a yet another great idea they could have had for Sonic Forces, which was be like, yeah, you got a point. Like, they did reuse Death Egg. Like, there's a lot of aesthetic in there that just because we hadn't seen it reused before, like we did with Green Hill so many times, like, it, it tugged at my heartstrings seeing all of those aesthetics again, like little hints of the the sub-boss in the background and the gimmicks being returned and stuff like that. Like, how cool would it have been, like, if forces like Eggman taking over the world means the levels you're battling in are reinterpretations of the final levels of, of previous games. Now that I'd be fine with. Like That'd be fucking cool. The main thing with just the whole Green Hill and Chemical Plant thing is we've seen them so many times, but like Death Egg is always welcome back. Scrap Brain is welcome back, sure. Like, uh, bring them back, you know? We haven't yeah, we're, we're more confident Sonic Team would have been able to be like, hey, here's technically Generations 2, but hard mode. And I mean, they, whatever, we're not getting back into it. Like if they, if I wouldn't live in a world, I wouldn't live in a timeline where we had a confident Sonic team that had firmly established what 3D Sonic is. So it would have been really cool to see all this stuff through a modern 3D Sonic's interpretation of these classic zones and coming back through them with a classic Sonic with a nice polish on it. And we don't live in that world, unfortunately. <laughs> there is there is one thing about Scrap Brain Zone that I actually really like and would love to see interpreted interpreted in 3D. Interpreted. Um, so when you begin Scrap Brain Zone, you actually aren't quite inside the level yet. And if you if you wait and look back where like the parallax scrolling happens, you can actually see the industrial complex like shooting up fire and, and fumes and stuff, like mm -hmm. polluting yeah. the environment. But it's the way that it's shown, there's no detail to it. It's not like the, the buildings in, say, Chemical Plant, where you can see the little lights in the windows. It's very, very basic. I would love to see a 3D, or even like in a Mania 2, getting a new version of Scrap Brain Zone with all those details fleshed out so I can see what that complex looks like from the outside. Because aside from stuff like chemical plant and and the death egg it's we don't really get to see giant eggman fortresses like that as much as we used to yeah well um before we wrap up our our thoughts here we should probably talk a little bit about the special stages they're fine they are an assault on your senses if you if you have a problem with overstimulation you will have a problem with those levels they are they're frustrating but they're okay like you can you can learn how to manipulate those levels and get the chaos emerald in 15 seconds i like, like the birdfish um my <laughs> biggest uh my biggest criticism would be why the fuck did they call the pits of death goal like don't call it goal i thought i was doing the right thing when i was jumping in there as a kid i did too yeah i uh that was very confusing for me for a little while i forgot about that up until you mentioned that <laughs> <laughs> i just yeah i'm with you guys i think they're fine i mean in comparison like and i get what they were doing there which is like let's um let's use our little ball boy in a in a different way the players a little something extra to do i think like and i've and i've stated this a hundred times before i think the special stages were a a nice solution for the problem of the day which was what happens if somebody just rents our game 
plays it for a weekend, and that's that. A lot of games would just make the game too fuck off hard, but um, while there's a lot of challenge, like a very unbalanced challenge in Sonic 1, um, I do think the idea of the special stages was a nice solution of like bringing extra challenge for completionist sake. Replay as opposed to kids, I just want to have fun. It adds yeah. a new layer to the experience, and also, if you listen to the PAL version of the soundtrack, the music sounds like the musical equivalent of being drunk. So <laughs> it's, it's very, uh, it's very dreamlike and kind of a little bit discordant in places. So it's it's sure. really interesting. I, I highly advise everybody check out that PAL soundtrack. It's so strange. There's one thing. Listen. There's one thing about the special stages that really does stick out to me, though. And it's and it's a good kind of stick out, and it's this is the way things operate for all special stages going forward, is that at the end of the day, what was Sega known? What has Sega been known for 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 a long time during that that era, and even going forward, they wanted to bring the arcade experience home, and mm-hmm. the idea of having a short game, because again, my my playthrough of this game a few hours ago, it was an hour and twelve minutes, going through the whole thing, and with deaths, so. That works on an arcade machine perfectly fine. And in an arcade machine, you're always trying to find little hidden stuff that'll make people come back. Not only does that work from, like what you said, the standpoint of making sure that people could rent this from Blockbuster, RIP, and then be able to to get it back again later and have a reason to re-rent the game, but it also ends up working because the mentality behind this game is very much an arcade mentality. You want you want this game to be designed so there's a lot of trial and error in it, and you want there to be a lot of hidden stuff in there so that people who are replaying it for the fourth, fifth, seventh time are having a reason to replay the game. And I think they do a really good job at that. As as awkwardly executed as the special stage is, I think that it, it not only solves that renting problem, but it also keeps the ethos of arcade at home very well. Yeah. Well... Um, I do have to wrap things up here pretty soon. I do have to get to work and all that fun stuff. But um, I guess a couple things I did want to say about Sonic 1 and things I just want to kind of always reiterate about it is, yeah, I can't always sit behind the defense of, like, you just had to be there. Um, it's not fair to hold it up against the rest of the series. So on and so forth. But I keep thinking about um, how quickly you went through the game, Sirs. And I think that's because you are... Uh, you're tuned into how Sonic plays. And yes, you do have to play Sonic 1 a little bit differently from the rest of the series, partially because the mindset of the developers wasn't with the confidence, you know, all, all out the gate. They had everything figured out, so you have to have some platforming experience in there. But even still, going backwards into this, you still can make your way through it with relative ease. There's still always going to be some kind of a challenge in there, how fair it is. I can't always, you know, go to its defense with every single trap or uh, or pitfall there, but I do still think it it's quite a bit of challenge to it that's it's worth keeping around. I think it stands the test of time on its own. When compared to the rest of the series, yeah, I, I do agree with a lot of people that there might not be a lot of reason to go back to it when you have Sonic 2 right there, but I still can't Put that game in without smiling. I still can't remember the feeling of Green Hill for the first time where 
it felt like the promise of the game art was coming to life on the screen. And every time I'd walk by a waterfall, I could swear I could feel like a, a light mist on the back of my neck. Like I just, I, I will always remember how that game made me feel. And when, whenever I had to die, because when I died in Marble or Spring Yard or Labyrinth or whatever else, yeah, it's frustrating, but like you're always starting back in most inviting, fun area of the game. And I, I think that arcade mentality that kind of drove the momentum and the movement of Sonic and that first level's design, I really think it worked in its favor, and I will always appreciate the game for that. And I can I can definitely agree with that. Like it's it's always good to have a game that just whenever you pop it in it almost feels like you're going back home mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of what you get in in a lot of those games especially sonic one just pop it in welcome to green hill zone you're gonna have a fun time even if some of the the later bits remind you of how whack-ass your family is now that you're back home <laughs> <laughs> oh fair any final <laughs> thoughts pup it is a good game. Um, like, <laughs> as I say, um, it's one of those things where you got to take into account it's the first one. It's the very first one. There's, like, some kinks that still need ironing out. But you've also got to take into account it's the first fucking one. Leave it alone, you know? Like, it's, you know, like, it's not fair to compare Sonic 1 to Sonic 2. Just compare Sonic 2 to Sonic 1 and celebrate all of the things that Sonic 2 improved, you know? And, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it's the worst of the original Sonic trilogy, but that's the way it should be. That That's yep. exactly how it should be. And it still stands up today. It's still a great game. It's revolutionary. It's a piece of video game history. So if, you know, if you've never played it before and you want to get into classic Sonic, don't skip Sonic 1. Start off with Sonic 1. It will make Sonic 2 and 3 feel that much more rewarding. And as well as that, it's just nice to go back to the roots of the character properly. So, yeah, that's that's uh, that's me. That's me done. Yeah, that's a good point. If I, if you don't mind me elaborating on that a little bit, I always tell people start with Sonic Two. But yeah, I mean, like if you have Sonic One in front of you, and you're playing it, and you're having fun with the way this character moves and feels, and you feel like you want more of it. Like, even if there's some, like, bullshitty parts you're having frustration with, you're gonna like Sonic 2 that much better. And I, I know that's not, like, really saying, like, well, it's less garbagey, so maybe appreciate the garbage first. But watching that evolution play out through the classic trilogy is a lot of fun. At least it was for me growing up with it. And, um, yeah. Fuck this game is basically what we're saying. <laughs> I fucking hate Sonic 1. It's <laughs> it is a it is a game that while I would not ever recommend it as somebody's first Sonic game, it is a game that if if you love Sonic right now, please go play it and get get your own perspective on it. It's it is a very strange game as a time capsule, but I think it also functions really well as a time capsule where we had this character designed to do a lot of things but a game designed with the mentality of the platformers that came before it. And it's a very... I, I know people complain about like the block platforming stuff not being very Sonic when you get to Sonic Colors, but if you play Sonic 1, 
yeah, no, this feel, there's a lot, there's actually a lot of parallels between colors in one that oh, can be definitely. driven. So, like, it's... so, in terms of, like, recommending it, I would say do start with Sonic 1, but be aware that it is the worst one. So don't give up at 1, you know? Like, play Sonic 1, don't give up at 1, though. If, if you're not enjoying 1, just go straight on to 2. You still owe it to yourself and to Sonic to give it a try. I'm going to go beyond that. Um, the caveats aside, um, Sonic 1 is one of those games where I feel like the general gaming audience is more forgiving of that game. It even flat out enjoys the game more than the hardcore Sonic fandom as it stands today. I'm just going to tell you to shut the fuck up and play it because this is video game history. Understand how important this game is. Like, this is up there with Super Mario Brothers, and I will not listen to a bad word about Mario Brothers 1. I make jokes about Mario World, sure, but that's the fourth in the series. Like, respect what these games did. Like, these games had it like <laughs> Sonic 1 had to crouch down and build momentum in a little ball so Sonic 2 could spin dash. Like, this is an important part of your. Of this entire hobby's entire existence and the entirety of video gamedom has so much to think because of this game. It transformed how this, this business is run. It, it shook Mario, it shook the empire of Nintendo, and it made them pay attention, and it told the rest of the industry and all these creatives and everybody else, like, hey, you don't need to do everything Nintendo tells you to do. We thank them for what they did for getting us out of a slump, but they're holding the leash too tight. This little hedgehog is just drilling the way through for the future. So show some fucking respect for your elders. This game is a tried and true blue classic, and I will not apologize for it. And that, my friends, is why Sonic 1 is objectively bad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, guys, I got to get going. But uh, before we do, um, uh, if you've been sticking around for this, let us know how you felt about this retrospective. Let us know if you want us to continue on down the line um, with the Genesis games, maybe the Master System and Game Gear games, and further on into the future. Um, let us know how you feel about anything with the show. And if you like it, please be sure you share with your other weird Sonic friends who like to obsess over the stuff with us. We love talking about this, regardless of how much we debate. We're all here because we love the same thing. And uh, be sure to follow us on all of our different social medias and other platforms where we love to create for you. Channel Pup is at Channel Pup on YouTube and everywhere else. Cirrus is at Cirrus the Skeptic. If you want more political leanings there, he's a very smart, very moral man. And Necosurus, if you want some more video game related topics, if you want a smart man talking to you about video games, and he's also Necosurus on Twitch. And I'm at Game Apologist on YouTube and just about everywhere else. And we'll have all the links for all that down below. And thank you so much for listening. 